This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 172. I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and I'm here with Will Shelton. We are going to uh, hit on this weekend's football game against the Florida Gators and then move on to some basketball. Um, I'll just kick it off here with some quick thoughts uh, generally on the Florida game. Um, those of you who, who uh, listen regularly probably know this about me already, but I uh, want to repeat it just for any uh, new listeners. But uh, my coping mechanism for losing seasons is to basically avoid all post-game chatter, uh, especially on uh, Twitter. Uh, so uh, I don't really know um, what the mood is out there. I'll find that out tomorrow when I uh, dip my uh, toes back into the water. Um, <clears throat> but my thoughts, and I don't know whether this is in line with what everybody else is thinking or not, but my thoughts is are that uh, it, it really wasn't a bad game. Um, it wasn't. Uh, um, it was kind of about what we thought. Maybe even a little bit better. We we held Florida to their lowest point total of the entire season. We had the same number of first downs, uh, a better third down conversion percentage than they did, a better quarterback completion percentage uh, overall when you count all four quarterbacks. Um, let's see. Uh, we held them to 19 yards rushing, which used to be the magic formula, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, we limited penalties. We had no turnovers. Now, I know a bunch of those stats were uh, piled up in the fourth quarter garbage time, and that uh, influenced the stats. But still, I I didn't think it was terrible. And uh, I think it may have actually been an improvement. Now, we did do some weird things, and we're going to get to that in a minute after we talk about the game generally. But, but Will, um, how does that fit in with uh, your assessment? And also with the general mood out there, am I a, an outlier again, uh, or, or is that about right? I think if you take it in a vacuum and you look at, let's take Tennessee's defense in a vacuum, yeah, uh, pretty good uh, compared to expectation. There, there is, and not just the expectation, compared but what Florida is yeah. this year. Some of it, not only are we dealing with the COVID weirdness, and not knowing what to assign where. Um, I just watched, uh, let's, let's get some good news out there first. I just watched Kentucky's basketball team take a beating from Georgia Tech, hey. uh, who was 0-2 on the year, and I believe lost to Georgia State and maybe Mercer in their previous two games. <laughs> and when I turned it on and Georgia Tech was up seven or eight, and I thought, who's the coach at Georgia Tech now? It's not Josh Pastner anymore. No, no, it's still, it's still Josh Pastner. <laughs> who in my brain was so bad there that he had been removed, but no, he's still there. And they really wrecked Kentucky. Uh, I mean, they were up 20 at one point late. Uh, I think one by 17. So like Kentucky basketball fans, as the Wildcats are now one and three are opening themselves up to the wild and wonderful world of how much of this is COVID's fault when your team does things that you don't understand at all. So uh, back to Tennessee, in the, in the weird COVID world and in a world we don't understand where Florida just says, yeah, we're not going to run it anymore. Uh, we're just going to throw it almost literally every play. At one point, I, I tweeted this in the middle of the game for anybody that follows me on Twitter. The first two drives, Florida ran it three times on the first drive and three times on the second drive. They kicked a field goal and they punted. After that, they were like, screw this, man. This isn't working. And it wasn't working to Tennessee's credit. Tennessee was doing a good job taking the runaway. 
Uh, I believe it is 25 of their next 28 plays were passes. We like we don't know that weird universe unless you're playing Leech, um, which we haven't. So um, given all that and, and given that weirdness and the incredible ability of Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts to say, we're going to be incredibly one-dimensional and we're still going to do pretty well. Um, I, I thought Tennessee's defense was was pretty good considering all of that stuff. So, yes, you you mentioned uh, the, the points. Um, really good compared to what Florida had done all year. First team all year to force them three and out back-to-back. Uh, Florida had 6.85 yards per play, which sounds like a lot, but that's their second lowest total of the year after – a kind of weird game in week two where they put 6.57 on South Carolina. They ran off something in the sevens against AM, Missouri, Georgia, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky. Teams that, you know, are, are not lifeless on defense. Uh, so in a vacuum, uh, Tennessee's defense, pretty good. Um, they not as effective as they wanted to be in getting to Trask, but okay. Uh, it confused him, I, I thought, early on. Uh, you know, they, they don't force turnovers, and that's been a problem all year, been a problem for a long time. But in a vacuum, Tennessee's defense, pretty good uh, Saturday. I think some of that is it's just going to take some getting used to. We said this about Alabama. You give up 31 to Bama, you did real well. Um, I think giving up 31 to Florida defensively, you did pretty well. Um, so in a vacuum, that is true. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately there, there are no vacuums. And so that gets lumped in with some other stuff. And I feel like because of that, even though Joel probably rightly has guided us into this being the first talking point coming out of the game, probably not the first takeaway for the majority of Tennessee fans and, and probably not the first takeaway for the, anybody watching Tennessee's program which is unfortunate. It just kind of shows you how we've run some things into the ditch a little bit here that, that a pretty good job defensively um, isn't leading the way in more places, if that makes sense. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether my next point, which is what I've been calling the weirdness, and it's basically how they handled the quarterbacks, whether that's this vacuum that you keep mentioning or whether the vacuum is actually just the offense in general. Uh, and if it's the latter, let, let's go ahead and talk about the vacuum. And even as, if it's not, let's go ahead and talk about the quarterbacks. What, so what is this vacuum you keep mentioning? You get this sudden infatuation with a vacuum. When Tennessee has struggled so much, so many weeks in a row, the good that they do, def- when the good that they do defensively against a really good offense, one of the best offenses in college football, then bumps up against the weirdness you refer to at, at quarterback. Um, and even though they made the change, they, they completely eliminated the catastrophic mistakes. Yep. But they still failed to create really any explosiveness. Tennessee now, what are we, two and six, so eight games into the year. Tennessee still has one play of 40-plus yards this year. One. One, one play of 40-plus yards. Um, that's just that's just awful. Yeah. Um, and it's awful in, in the not fun way. Uh, not that the Sal Sinceri way of losing was it thoroughly enjoyable, but more enjoyable than this. So that stuff didn't change. They took some shots with Bailey um, and JT Shroud. Uh, 
made they weren't 40 yard plays but he made I think it was a 22 yard pass it was really nice um so did some good things but um I said coming into the game that okay we've got kind of we've got a really muddled conversation with Tennessee right now and, and a muddled conversation in general because of the virus and and buyouts and that sort of thing so it's it's all very complicated and maybe Saturday will simplify it maybe uh, either Florida will just annihilate Tennessee and we'll have one more simple conversation or Harrison Bailey will play pretty well for a freshman making his first start against number six Florida and we'll have another kind of conversation but instead what happened is Tennessee didn't get annihilated at all Bailey did okay um, I think and did okay especially probably more than okay based on what they were asking him to do and what they wanted him to do and then they put Shroud in and he was good like like good is the word I'm going to use Right, because in, in, in isn't that? I mean, that's the word you would use, right? He well, was good. I, I, I have different, kind of different thought. I, okay, good, let, me, let me finish I, my thought. I, we'll... I like the fact that you said "good" is the word that I would use without actually really endorsing the uh, the word. Right, because so my my brain wants to say, okay, um, were they? But I think the answer is yes. Whereas Florida is still trying to get to. I mean, they hit him. You know, uh, they, they were still playing aggressive defense. I know they were ahead, um, but Shrout comes in, which was an odd choice. Then he plays well, which makes it even more confusing. Yeah. So now um, I'm not worried, you know, if, if everybody passes protocol, we're going to play two more games and one of them is against Texas A&M. So you're going to see live fire one more time. Um, so I, I'm fine. I'm fine with, I want to see Harrison Bailey again, and now I want to see JT Shroud again. My the biggest talking point I think now is again, what are we doing? <laughs> okay, yeah, JT so. Shroud didn't make the trip to Arkansas. Like, was the guy they left at home? Yeah. So not only do we have the issue of we've been playing Jarrett Garantano. Uh, anytime you have a senior and a freshman who basically give you the same thing and you're asking them to give you the same thing, you play the freshman because he's going to help you later. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, you know, all the things about Garantano and what he in theory could do with the offense. I saw Harrison Bailey do most of those things, except not throw catastrophic interceptions or, or fumble the ball, the run game stuff. I want to see that more when Brandon Kennedy's in the game and, and that sort of thing. But I didn't notice a big difference between Garantano and, and Bailey. So, um, I don't understand why uh, you, you can't watch that game and do what I think some people were afraid we were going to do, which is say, uh, now you see why we've been playing Garantano and now we're really screwed, right? <laughs> that everybody's bad. <clears throat> Instead, uh, you got a true freshman did pretty well for what, for what it was. And then your, your fourth string guy comes in and is good. What have we been doing? Like, what are we doing? That so that to me is the bigger talking point. Is yeah. what's what's the idea? What's the leadership here? Quarterback. I know we have a defensive coach, but quarterback is the most important position on the field. And somehow we played better at it, but I feel worse about it. Uh, if if that makes sense, and all of that I think is why it's hard to lead with. Hey, uh, defense actually pretty good uh, Saturday. So. <laughs> Uh, feel, 
feel free if obviously you're not watching this, you're listening to it, but Joel is laughing at me more or less while I'm saying these things. So feel feel free to to tell me why uh, I'm how how you either think exactly the same thing or or are different in uh, in your thought process here. It's mostly exactly the same thing it, because I actually you know in my notes to make sure that I didn't miss anything. I think I wrote the exact same phrase that you just said. So the weirdness I was talking to, what in the world are we doing with the quarterbacks? What are we doing? Um, so here, here's my thoughts on, on it. And it mostly lines up with yours, although I have sort of a different uh, take on uh, Shrout's time in the game. Okay, so here, last two years, we've been identified as a team that has no consistency at quarterback, right? We've been playing around with the quarterback position for two years. Now, I know that Garantano has started seven games, okay? But he never really, you know, his 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 hold on it was tenuous uh, pretty much all season, right? Um, so, uh, so what do we do going into this game? We finally, we finally cut bait. And, and I understand that, you know, listen, I'm usually the the last one out the door. I'm the last holdout. Um, I'm the last to let go. Even of I'll 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 just go ahead and admit it. Even of Dooley, even of Jones, um, Fulmer. Um, I like patience. I like consistency. Uh, I like you know giving folks a chance. So I you know I was the last one out the door on on Garantano. I still love the guy. Uh, hope for great things for him. Um, <clears throat> But I did think that it was getting hard to uh, defend him, D- defend him being the, the starting quarterback with just some of the catastrophic mistakes that were uh, ruining any chance for a win. Um, so we, we make, a, make a change, okay? So it's like, hey, we're finally going to write a new chapter, right? Going to write a new story. And it's going okay. Because a- as you said, you know, you posted this, you saw it coming. Don't expect too much of a brand new freshman quarterback because generally they don't have a fantastic game right out of the gate. So don't expect too much. He wasn't spectacular, but it was kind of a step in the right direction. He made, he was making good decisions. He didn't make any major game-killing mistakes. And yes, he had problems scoring, but that's nothing new. The thing that was new was that we weren't shooting ourselves in every appendage. Right. Um, so and then head scratcher, first head scratcher was, hey, let's send in Brian Maurer for a single snap and let's do it twice. It's not like this guy's a, a wildcat quarterback where he's a super, you know, he's he's basically the same guy. Maybe he runs a little better, you know, but it, but it's not like putting Emory Jones in um, for Kyle Trask. It's not a change of pace. Right. So w- w- what is up with that? I, I, I didn't understand that. And then you, you switched to Shroud. And again, you know, I'm, why? You know, I mean, again, I love this for Shroud. I love that he was the player of the game, that he has um, done something uh, for his, it's done something good for his name because the last thing we remember was, a, was an interception. Um, you don't want that. Um, so I'm happy for him, but it was like, you know, why would we do this? It's not like the, uh, this is something that you do when you have a seasoned quarterback with experience and you want to get the backup reps. This is Harrison Bailey's first start 
right? And so you, you go to him, and, and here's where uh, I differ a little bit. I think the game was decided at that point. And I know Florida was still coming after him, still playing hard on defense, still had the starters in, but they were ahead and they were playing a different defense. So they they were they were playing more of a more of a prevent, a little easier to get things happen. And I know he threw some stuff over the top anyway and you know, I just think it was a different game at that point. And so what you're doing is you're putting the backup in late in the game when the game is decided in a situation where it's more likely that he's going to actually look better than the guy who was taking live snaps when the score was 0-0 and the game was undecided. So, instead of writing this brand new chapter, it looks like we're putting the same movie back in the machine. It's like, are we going to have two more years? And um, and this is probably getting into, we, we talked before the uh, before we started recording. Um, <laughs> so again, I, I'm a guy who likes consistency, um, patience, um, but here's the thing, um, it, <laughs> okay, so, um, I'm trying to figure out how, how to say this, uh, <laughs> nicely. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to go back to the machine. We, we're put, we, we had this chance to write this new story, and we put the, uh, the, movie, the same movie back in the machine, and we just hit play, and we're like, are we going to do this same thing for the next, uh, next two years again? And giving ben Pruitt the benefit of the doubt, he says, look, you don't have to ask me again. Um, I'm going to play the quarterback who plays best in practice. And, you know, that's something you do in the first couple of weeks of the season. That's not something you do in week eight. At some point, you got to make a decision. And you got to go because you're just killing every person's chance at getting better. All right? Now, you tried that with Garantano. Um, you gave him the opportunity, and he, he didn't get better. Um, so kind of understand that. Um, so that, that's a, that's a, I think a legitimate criticism of Pruitt. It's like, you guys are mismanaging this quarterback situation. Okay. At the same time, um, I can imagine, and again, I'm not really paying attention to the chatter on purpose, uh, but I can imagine that, that we're getting to the point where people are saying, Hey, uh, this is insane. We are doing <laughs> the same thing over and over again. And expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. I can hear it now. I can read it. You know, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's there. Um, and here's the thing. Um, I think that maybe the insanity that we are expecting a different result on now is changing a coaching staff every three to five years. Um, because, look, we've done this a lot. Okay? 2008, uh, Fulmer. Um, had a couple of bad years in a span of three to four to five years. Um, so let's get rid of them. And things are going to get better, definitely, right? Have to get better. Uh, they didn't get better, all right? So we had, we had one coach for one year, and he left. Uh, Dooley, that didn't work out. He, we cut him loose in three years. Butch Jones, eh, had an okay year. Looked like maybe he was turning up, and then the bottom fell out. We got rid of him after, what, five? And now yes. here, here it is, three years 
later again, and now we're talking about starting over again. Let's throw the whole thing into the dumpster and start over again. You know what? It's got to be better, right? Well, look at our recent history. Last 12 years, every time we think we're making it better by changing, it doesn't actually get better. So in my, in my mind, I'm thinking, let's just chill for another couple of years and see if a little extra time works this time. And I don't know whether it will. I'm not saying it will. But I'm saying it's time to try something different. And when I say try something different, I don't mean getting a new coach. I mean, let's try giving this guy some time. What do you think? Here, here would be my counter to that. And, and I am, again, if you've been listening to us a long time, uh, I'm, I'm the next to last person out the door. <laughs> um, so, but I, I want to, <clears throat> we've been doing this a long time. I want to be somebody who learns something from these things. Because, uh, good Lord, we've got enough experience to have taught us something uh, along the way. And and sometimes the things that you learn are happy things. Um, I, I have spilled more of my own blood over Conzo Martin than, than anybody at Tennessee when it comes to th- this sort of stuff. And one thing I was wrong about um, with Conzo is... I assumed that ten, the ceiling for Tennessee's program was lower than it actually is. Um, and now uh, uh, we weren't getting there with Donnie Tyndall. So I get an asterisk on that one because a year later, it really looked like we should have paid Conzo Martin. Um, but that's, you know, sometimes you, you, you don't want to ever make that mistake and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So um what I would say is what's, what is different in the midst of all this same turnover? Are there any things that are different now? Because on the one hand, you are correct. When we talk about it not getting better, um, in SP+, plus, this is going to give, depending on what happens with Vanderbilt and Texas A&M, if they play it, you know, right now, this is, this is giving 2017 a run for its money as the worst Tennessee, pro, the worst Tennessee team in at least the last 50 years. So we saw what happened three years ago at the end of the Butch Jones thing, where, like you said, the bottom just fell out and they were a bad football team at the end. Um, these guys, you know, they, they're playing hard. Um, they, they really, is, they haven't had any official opt-outs in the middle of the year. As far as I know, I know we've heard a couple guys are going to focus on academics. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but, you know, they, they've stayed together. They've stayed invested um, and they weren't annihilated by Florida. I, I don't, you know, we still lost by 12. This is year three. I don't, I don't necessarily, it's not a warm blanket to me to say, ah, we only lost by 12. Um, but I, I, I don't see the bottom falling out, but I do just see bad football offensively. Um, and, and I think that is an issue. Um so there, there are two things I think here that are an important difference for Tennessee. One, um, if you were to make a change this year, and this may be true next year too, unlike other points in, unlike other searches, 08, 12, 08, 09, 12, and um, 17, the list of guys that are reportedly not just interested, but connected to the Tennessee job that would have real interest in the job 
is a better list than I think a better, a more proven list, a more proven list of guys than we've worked with in the past. Some of this is just luck and timing, but let, let's take Hugh Freeze and put him over here as, as a whole separate conversation. But, um, you know, whether it's Billy Napier at Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, uh, who's, who's from Tennessee and reportedly is connected, it, it didn't take the South Carolina job, um, whether they offered it to him or not. There's some idea that he might be interested in Tennessee. You know, that guy is, is playing for the, the Sunbelt title has done amazing things at Louisiana, has the, the record as a head coach, has some of the bona fides as an assistant coach. Um, he would be a better hire on day one than Derek Dooley or Jeremy Pruitt. Or I would be willing to say, in terms of proven record, Lane Kiffin was at the time. Um, he's similar to Butch Jones in, in terms of what he's done as the coach at a, a mid-major school winning conference championships but he's got experience as an assistant in the SEC and recruiting all that stuff. So anyway, you've got him. You've also got the guy at Coastal Carolina that is a, a big Tennessee fan, also a huge risk, no power five experience whatsoever, but you've got, um, there is a sense among the fan base. And I think a sense that's being fairly reported in, in the open or on message boards anyway, that, your, your group of guys that would be interested in the conversation at Tennessee and connected to it have a reason to want to come to Tennessee. It's just a better list right now. Might be a better list next year, too. I don't know if any of those guys are leaving their jobs. Um, you know, Shane Beamer's at South Carolina now. Um, you know, those, I don't think those guys are going to Vanderbilt. Uh, so, you know, they, they may stick around. You may be competing next year with Auburn or LSU. Uh, Bad luck and timing for Tennessee before that the Florida job was also open at the same time. So Dan Mullins in Gainesville and he's not in Knoxville, if that actually, you know, would have worked out. So you've got that as that's, that's an issue to say, it seems like Tennessee is more positioned with a group of candidates that have a, a better resume, hypothetically speaking, than in the past when those options weren't out there and, and Tennessee was throwing money at, at some bigger names, but they weren't catching any of them. Um, the other thing I think is if you, if, if we do this again next year, there's a totally respectable argument to do this again next year. If you want to say COVID weirdness buyouts, like that may not be my favorite argument, but I'll respect it all day. It makes sense. I get it. Your question then becomes what's good enough next year. Tennessee goes eight and four next year. That would be Pruitt's best year yet. What's, is that, is that going to be enough? Like we can't, we cannot play this game just to keep the head coach one step ahead of the firing squad. We can't do that. So if, if keeping your head coach, but not even being real sure what success looks like from him or what we anticipate success being from him, and then if you begin to see a slide in recruiting, which is the only, I mean, that, that's the lead dog in this thing, right? Is the virus and recruiting to, to keep these things together in the forefront. If that starts to slip, then you're another year just behind in this, in this whole thing. So I think those two things, the sense among Tennessee fans, not that we could go hire John Gruden this time or that Charlie Strong is going to leave you at the airport, but 
there are guys out there, e even setting Hugh Freeze aside, there are guys out there that, that have better looking resumes as a head coach than what we have hired in the past that have some natural connections and seem to have possibly some interest in the job. I think that makes a difference. Um, your, your floor feels a lot higher in this search than in the past. Um, so if, if they do want to run it back, which again is a respectable argument to me, I don't want to spend next year going eight and four with multi-possession losses to our biggest rivals and a loss to Kentucky, but we beat Pittsburgh and Missouri and South Carolina. And in year four say, well, he did better. So let's do it again for year five. Like this, that's just not a way to, a good way to do business to me. Um, so that, that is, um, that's what I would say to the, to the, you know, give them time sort of thing. Um, I think, I think the, the list of potential candidates is better now than it has been, could be better next year too. So this whole thing may be a moot point of all those guys stay at their jobs next year. But then two, what are we asking him to do if he stays? Because if we're just, if we're just going to say that making progress is enough, they better make progress next year. Right. I mean, like it would be hard not to. So that would be my question about that is it, it was pretty clear. I think for Derek Dooley, and for Butch Jones, it, it was pretty clear in their last years, hey, this is what we need to see. And it became obvious in in much more so for Butch Jones than it did for Derek Dooley, but it just became obvious that this isn't, wasn't going to work. If Pruitt goes eight and four, like I just, I'm, I'm, that makes me nervous. Because um, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to sit down with you a year from now and say, shouldn't we give him year five because he made progress? Like I just, I just, that doesn't seem like a good way to do business. Does that make sense? That's a lot of me talking. Is that, is that? No, that, that, that all makes sense. Um, it, it's a tough situation, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it, anyone pretending otherwise is like, this is a complex organism, the university yeah. of Tennessee football program in a non coronavirus year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 another argument um, that might be that I actually consider even more compelling is that, well, look at these other coaches that don't take three years, right? So you, you got instant uh, turnaround at Arkansas. That, that doesn't help. Uh, Lane Kiffin's doing okay at Ole Miss. Um, it shouldn't have to take three years for a good coach. That's an argument. Um, not sure I buy it. I think there are extenuating circumstances. Um, the thing that I have, um, you know, see, again, with me sort of avoiding uh, the chatter, too, I, you know, I didn't know who the candidates that everybody was talking about was. I figured Hugh Freeze was on the list, but I don't know anything about the Coastal Carolina. I know that they're like a really good team. Uh, they're, I, I look at them every week on, on the uh, SBM picks. You know, they're they're like picked to win every time, right? So they're and they're and they're killing it. They're scoring points, man, right? Um, Louisiana, fine, uh, but I don't know these guys. And and here's the thing: I mean, we the the thing that scares me to death about those things is that it's it's the old, however you want to say it, grass is greener. 
Yeah. The fantasy you don't know is always better than the reality that you do know. It's the it's the uh, quarterback. Uh, it's the backup quarterback situation. The guy who hasn't broken your heart always looks better, right? And and you don't know whether it's going to work out. And I mean, we we almost hired Mike Leach, right? Everybody wanted him. That well, a lot of people wanted him. Yeah, not not everybody wanted <laughs> not him. Everybody, yeah. but a lot of people wanted him, right? After the first week at uh, Mississippi State, everybody wanted him. He was going to be fantastic, right? And it only worked one week. Um, Scott Frost. Lots of folks wanted Scott Frost. He's having similar problems at Nebraska. So you just you don't know. It. We, we always think that we're going to make everything better by changing. And I don't know if that's the case, you know. And, and here's the thing. We fans can talk about it all we want. I think the guy making a decision is Philip Fulmer. And what do you think his attitude is after getting canned in 2008, right? I think he's probably going to be air on the side of patience. I don't know. And it's probably not up to him, not just up to him either. It's it's also the guys with the money who were whispering or <laughs> shouting into his ear, right? So it's a complicated situation. And, um, you know, this, this is why I, I you know, I try to stay out of advocating one way or the other because it's not up to me, so I'm not going to stress about it. Whatever uh, Fulmer decides he wants to do, okay, we'll get behind Pruitt. If it's Pruitt next year, we'll get behind uh, one of these other guys. If it's somebody else, you know, it'll be all right. I'm going to tune in. Even when the team's losing, I'm going to tune in because, you know what, there's only so many opportunities every year. You watch them when you get a chance. Agreed. Uh, And I think, you know, again – uh, I don't think we've ever come out and advocated um, in, in football. I don't think we've ever come out and advocated, but you know, if I had made those hires, I would have hired Muschamp twice in 08 <laughs> and 09. And obviously that did not work. Um, and I would have hired uh, Brad Shepard and I would have hired Scott Frost together uh, three years ago. And yeah, as you I, said, I would have hired Leach uh, at one point uh, several years yeah. ago, not last time, but yeah, but I, I do think, but see there, I, I think that is, that's the distinction this time is there you're talking about names of guys that ultimately, you know, I think in Muschamp's case did turn you down in the, in the duly hire, um, but uh, would have turned you down as opposed to, again, it's not, it's not, and I've got a whole separate conversation about this. If, if we, if, if Pruitt stays and free stays at Liberty, We'll get into all that conversation later, but um, you know Napier at Louisiana and Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. Then you got guy, both guys that are from East Tennessee, um, guys that that seem to have natural interests and and would be a good fit. I think that's that to me is why Fulmer is important. You got to get a good fit. Um, Butch Jones did a lot of good things early in his tenure. He he did. A lot of the brick by brick stuff was a solid foundation early, but ultimately not a good fit as a head football coach at an SEC school. Just not a not a good fit. Um, so you, you got to get somebody that's a good fit in that position. I think Pruitt could have been that guy as as a you know SEC coaching lineage and all that stuff. But I trust Fulmer to to understand and to get that part right. The part that I don't think Mike Leach would have been good at or Shiano or any of these other guys. Um, I just, I, I go back to, um, 
I, I, so I don't know, you know, they, they could have hired Frost and it could have gone just as poorly. They could hire whoever I think will be best whenever they're hiring it and it could go just as poorly. But I, when I'm trying to figure out how it's going to go well for Pruitt, um, that, that conversation right now is recruiting and COVID. Um, with this, with again, an acknowledgement that the defense played pretty well against Florida on Saturday. Um, but there are so many other things that not only are bad, but have regressed that it just makes me, um, I, I, it's, it's difficult right now because we keep coming back week after week and saying, what are we doing? <laughs> like what happened here? And, and what was the, and, and some of it is just the optics. You mentioned the press conference, like once we get to the kind of verbally assaulting the media stage, it doesn't go real super smooth or great uh, from there for a lot of guys. So um, uh, I don't know. Uh, th th all this is, is to be continued, I think. Um, and still best thing that can happen in Tennessee is, is Harrison Bailey or JT Shrout or, or Salter that's coming in in January, um, you know, takes the reins on this thing and, and does really well. Uh, and maybe Tennessee can be more than an eight and four team next year. Um, but I think all of that's kind of in the atmosphere right now. And, and I go back, I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about this, but I go back to something I said after the Arkansas game on this podcast that has stuck with me is that, you know, as, as a preacher, I, I've said, I find myself ironically giving less grace to Pruitt in the COVID year because I, I struggle it's it's affects all of us it affects us all differently but it does affect all of us other teams are winning i struggle with that professionally and in, in conversation with other churches that aren't doing anything or, or whatever um and that has stuck with me in, in a convicting kind of way because man like this like we need to be abundant in grace these days for each yeah. other for fellow human beings for all those things we need that we need grace more than ever uh, this year but at the same time, uh, I, you know, I also think grace, giving grace is not just forgiving something or looking the other way at something over and over and over again. There's also an expectation that, you know, that that grace leads you to something more. Yeah. So what is what's what's the something even if we write this whole year off to the virus? When we're working on the magazine, if we're going to do a magazine, when we're doing the blog preview for next year, what's what's this something more? What are we putting together to say, here's how Tennessee might be better next year, other than just kind of shrugging our shoulders? Um, and I don't have a good answer to that right now. And that that is why we just kind of keep saying, uh, what are we doing we, right now? Yeah, we're, we're desperate for some reasonable basis for hope. Um, it's hard. Uh, we will get to hoops in just a second, but just uh, I just wanted to go down this uh, 2017 Vols coaching board, uh, you know, just to sort of drive home the grass is greener kind of uh, danger because there are some there are some guys on here that would have been better or would have probably been better. Okay, so top of the list, John Gruden. You know that never mind. Scott Frost, we thought he was great, um, not working out at Nebraska. Dan Mullen. Dude is awesome. Really good. Uh, Shiano, that wasn't going to work for a variety of other reasons. Gary Patterson at TCU, he's not having a good year. I think he's a solid coach, but I don't think his year uh, this year is doing is, is very well. Uh, Mike Norvell, 
Um, he's struggling at Florida State, right? Uh, yep. Chip Kelly struggling at uh, UCLA. Matt Campbell doing really well at Iowa State. I like that guy. He's he's doing a good job. Jeff Brom. Um, I don't know. Do you know anything about how he's doing? Purdue. I, I think they're kind of middling, struggling. Um, man, I'm not the expert on Purdue, but I, I feel like just defense, defensive issues um, okay. there, which sooner or later will get you. Same as offensive issues are getting our defensive head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Willie Taggart was at Oregon. Um, went to FSU. Already got fired. Jimbo Fisher. He's he's turning out at A and M. Uh, Charlie Strong, he's an assistant at Alabama, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's one of their Butch Jones uh, people. Yeah, <laughs> what does that mean? You're, like he's—I he's don't like think he's Butch an on-field Jones. assistant, right? I think he's an analyst. That um, might be. Yeah, he was in the booth this time, but I think that was because they had four or five uh, guys out. So, uh, Bobby Petrino—I don't even know what oh, he's doing. <laughs> I forgot he was even on the board last time. Yeah, uh, Justin Fuente. Uh, he's struggling at Virginia Tech. Indeed, he is just up the road from me. Yep. Yeah, Mike Leach, uh, one solid game at Mississippi State, and that was it. PJ Fleck, he's doing pretty well. Might be okay, but kind of, I don't know. You know, a little different there. Kiffin, hmm, uh, I don't know. Les Miles, terrible at Kansas. Uh, Mike Bobo, I don't even know anything about him. Uh, where he's at? He's he's the OC at Georgia, maybe. No, no, he's not he's the he's the interim coach at South Carolina with. Uh, with that, that's right. That's right. So okay. he'll be. I don't know where he'll be next year. Okay. Uh, Joe Moorhead uh, got fired did, uh, let's at see, Mississippi State. At Mississippi State yep. went to uh, Oregon as the OC and got fired with Taggart. Taggart, I think. Uh, yeah, he's he's somewhere else now. But see, there, there's also a version of this argument that cuts the other way to say Chad Morris and uh, Joe Moorhead got fired at Arkansas and Mississippi State after two years. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And and I think, see, here's like when I hear you putting reading off that list and man, I, I remember we did the coaching profiles and uh, recorded podcasts that were irrelevant by the time we finished talking uh, yeah. that week. Yeah. The difference now, I think, is Tennessee and 17, when you make that list, there's a lot of guys who were saying no to that job on the list. And right now, I, hey, I'd call Matt Campbell, too. I don't think he's coming here. No, no. I wouldn't leave Iowa State to come to Tennessee. What a weird sentence 10 years ago. But I wouldn't leave <laughs> Iowa State to come to Tennessee right now. Yeah. And if I'm Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, I wouldn't leave. The Butch Jones did. But I wouldn't leave Cincinnati to come to Tennessee. I think you, it, it needs, so like, that's true that the job, the quality of the job has diminished. You're always going to hire, or you should hire someone more experienced than Pruitt because we, we, all our hands were tied after the Shiano stuff. Um, so I would anticipate them hiring somebody that's, that's got more to work with that, or, or has a better resume than Pruitt. Again, I think that's, that's just why it's interesting. Even again, if you set all the free stuff aside, You've got guys that are winning a ton of football games at mid-major levels that have natural connections and seem to have natural interest in the Tennessee job. So just your, your floor uh, seems a lot higher. And, and, yeah. but I, I think if we were, you know, if, if Pruitt up and quit right now, while we were recording this podcast, 
we'd probably put Matt Campbell's name on a board, but I mean, he's, I don't think he's coming here. I don't think Tennessee fans, I, I think a lot of Tennessee fans understand that. Right. Right. Yeah. My, my, my point in reading off the list is not, you know, who did we miss out on that we could have had. Um, it's that these are the guys that we as fans wanted. And there's 22 guys on this list. The two guys I haven't mentioned so far are Chad Morris and DJ Durkin. Okay. And of those 22 guys, maybe five of them are actually having success right now. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's a risky proposition. Uh, not saying that that's not a reason to do it. I'm just saying that uh, if you are wanting to make a change because it has to get better, it doesn't have to get better. That's all I'm saying. No, it, and that's true. It can always get worse. But I do think one of the ways it gets worse is if you run this back again next year and it is not better, uh, you will forfeit an entire recruiting class in, in 2022. Um, and then you really better hope you get it right the next time. Um, yeah. But it's bad luck. I mean, it's bad either way because, you know, if you're going to do something now, signing day is in 10 days. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's hard. It's, it's very hard. Um, and I, I think that, look, not every South Carolina fan is, is thrilled about Shane Beamer. I think it's smart. Uh, they didn't pay a dime of a buyout on Shane Beamer for one. So good for them on that, but it's, it, it's, it's a combination of that dude wants to be there. Um, and I, you know, Scott Frost want to be at Nebraska, but like that dude wants to be there, has natural connections and natural interests. And the idea that I can trust this guy with the future of my program, this guy can be the caretaker of my program forever long. Where again, I just feel like the conversation with Pruitt is, is he going to win enough to not get fired next year? Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I, it's, I da it's dangerous. We're, we're slippery. And, and let me say this too. <clears throat> again, uh, next to last guy out the door. I'll I'm, in the tank for Fulmer. So I acknowledge all biases there or whatever. I'm not even upset. It was Jeremy Pruitt or Mel Tucker or Kevin Steele. So like those, those were the options based on decisions that many in this fan base made, including me. I put my name on one of those pieces of, we can't hire this Greg Schiano stuff. Um, and I, I would not change that. So like, I'm okay with saying we were in a, a unique and a difficult spot, a, a much of it self-inflicted, but I would inflict that particular wound again. So I'm all right with saying, you know what? The, one of the guys that was on a, a very thin list, he didn't work out. It's all right. Um, I'm sure he'll go and, and be a fantastic defensive coordinator if Tennessee wants to move on. The mistake to me would be, you know, just kind of stubbornly like it, it, it makes sense that that hired might have had a lower percentage of working out than some others based on the candidate list where we were a few years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, anyway, uh, know. it's hard. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I just uh, as you were talking, I just want to say the words Mike Shula um, at one point too, just. Just because somebody wants to be there and you think that they're going to be a good, um, uh, you know, they're from the program. Like you said, Scott Frost, you know, um, doesn't necessarily, and I don't know what Shula's credentials were. Did he, have, did he have any, and we want to move on to hoops, but 
Did he have any? Uh, you got a much better memory than I do. Uh, he was an NFL assistant coach, I believe. Okay. Um, and and one thing that never gets enough play in the Mike Shula um, conversation. Yeah, he was he was with the Dolphins um, with with his his dad. Um, okay. His dad may have retired by then, but anyway, uh, Mike Shula won ten games uh, in two thousand five. <laughs> Uh, and then lost his job in 06, but like he won 10 games. Philip Fulmer won 10 games in 2007 and lost his job in 08. We we had this conversation, you know, maybe on the air the last time we talked after the Auburn game about with, would you take Fulmer's last seven years if they were the next seven years at Tennessee right now? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, I, I think so. That's just part of it. Yeah. You can't, you know, we shouldn't promote T Martin. We shouldn't hire Peyton Manning, whatever, but in, in a more vulnerable time for college athletics and a changing landscape and all that other stuff, the head coach of your football, you, you have to expect more from the head coach of your football team than trying to do enough not to get fired um, next year. And I, I do think it's a valid point that, you know, if, if the guys were talking about <clears throat> that reportedly have legitimate interests or would have, theoretical hypothetical interest in the job you know chadwell at coast carolina's 10 and 0 napier at uh <clears throat> the raging cajuns was 11 and 3 last year and he's 9 and 1 right now those are just that's a good resume um and that that's a better resume than what has been around um a similar resume to butch jones and a, a uh, with some SEC experience in Napier's case and a better resume certainly than Derek Dooley and Jeremy Pruitt. And, and again, I would say Lane Kiffin uh, as well uh, for, for that sort of thing. Anyway, yeah. like, and this is what it comes to. Like we can't escape this conversation. We, we can't. That's because I started the uh, podcast by, by saying that we were going to talk just a little bit about uh, football and we're almost done. And we haven't yeah. gotten into hoops yet. But I will say one more thing. Sure. That one of these times, I'm going to be so slow out the door that I'm actually going to get fired along with the guy. <laughs> so that's, that's that's my goal. All right. Well, so, again, what what are we learning from these things? Um, I, I, I think I speak for both of us in saying, like, our we, – we seek to serve you that are listening to us. We, we are Tennessee fans and seek the best interests of the program. Uh, we, we are not seeking um, – we, we already left the place. Like, we're not seeking bigger audience and wider things or whatever. We left – we built that place and left it. So, like, yeah. I'm not saying these things to get clicks or whatever. But I, I do think at some point – if we don't, if we haven't learned anything from all these coaching changes, it's okay to think critically and ask questions about the direction of our program in serving its best interests. Yep. Um, and and that's what we're trying to do. And mostly right now, it's just confusing. Like, I, what what is in Tennessee's best interest right now? I don't know. Um, and Florida, as we said, I thought that was going to clarify it, and instead, it just it just muddied it some more. So. Stay tuned, and we'll see if we even play Vanderbilt this week. Which, what could that possibly teach us on the good side? Because um, I don't want to spend the whole offseason saying, well, if he plays the way he did against 0-8 Vanderbilt, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Never think that Tennessee can't surprise you. All right, so uh, <laughs> hoops. Uh, we only have like five minutes left now. Uh, so, you know, the, 
the uh, the season's getting started like two weeks late. We lost a game with Gonzaga already, but now we're finally going to tip off. I think, fingers crossed, on both hands, uh, Tuesday night with a uh, nearly impromptu game against uh, who is it? Colorado, somebody like that. Yes. All right. So you already wrote on these guys. You are ready. <laughs> you were you were ready to move on already this morning as soon as you're done preaching, right? <laughs> well, I, if if originally they rescheduled UT Martin, uh, who is 340 something in Ken Palm. So I would not have written the UT Martin preview uh, today because that's a glorif. I mean, no disrespect to the in-state school. And I hope that their COVID issues work themselves out, but th- that's a glorified exhibition. Yeah. Colorado is live fire. Um, and these guys, you know, the, Cincinnati is coming on Saturday. And the conversation was, all right, uh, you play UT Martin, you kind of ramp it up a little bit, and then you're going to play Cincinnati. Same as what we originally thought. They're going to play Charlotte, they'll ramp it up, and then they'll play VCU. Now you're basically, from a bracket perspective, you just like playing Cincinnati twice in a row. Um, and we wrote about this today. You got the Kansas game in January, but as we've seen, like when games get canceled in basketball, they're not getting rescheduled. So if you if anybody gets COVID the week of the Kansas game, you're not going to play it. And if you lose that Kansas game, your non-conference is – and, as we mentioned earlier, your conference – I don't know what's going on with Kentucky um, and LSU stumbled. Alabama got beat up by Stanford. Um, there's some teams. This is, Florida hadn't necessarily set the world on fire and who they played, but Florida's out there. Conzo's out there, Arkansas, some other teams. Um, but like you need to play these games and, and win them in a small sample size season. So now like this is a game we could be talking about on selection Sunday and it's the first game. And that's kind of cool. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that was the driving force behind one. I figured I was going to talk to you about the football stuff anyway, tonight and get that off my chest, but two, um, it's, this, this, are, this is a meaningful game, a yeah. super meaningful game uh, for Tennessee Tuesday night. And it's only streamed, I think. So uh, yes. not, not on broadcast TV, you're going to have to fire up one of your uh, alternate uh, internet uh, streaming channels. Um, we are actually out of time. Uh, so, uh, tell me everything, you know, about Colorado in 60 seconds, live on the bubble, uh, Ted Boyle, Ted Boyle, a name who's been in a couple of Tennessee basketball, uh, coaching search, uh, hot boards, uh, in days past, this is 10 years for him. They made the tournament four times would have been five times last year. If they played it in nine years, made the NIT twice. So it's, it's bubble every year for those guys. Uh, and I can't speak in depth on the quality of Pac-12 basketball, but you know, it's, you're going to, you're going to get a good punch from these guys. Excellent point guard scores a lot, facilitates at the same time, really well, really makes the whole thing go for them. So a great question right out of the gate. And, uh, and Chris Dorch that writes the, the blue ribbon college basketball yearbook is the one who first brought this up. And I, I linked to him in the post I wrote if you want to know if Tennessee is going to do the thing where they put Eve Pons on the other team's best player, you're going to find out right away because this is a six foot point guard. If you put Pons on him, you can mess with him in all kinds of ways. So if Tennessee desires to do that, you'll find out Tuesday. Um, or they could, you know, put Vescovi on him, play man, whatever they want to do. Uh, but that'll, that'll be kind of uh, a link in the chain of what is this team going to look like right away? I think you'll get an answer to 
how do they want to use Pons defensively? Do they want to put him on this other team's point guard and, and harass him a lot? So um, these guys, uh, they don't give up offensive rebounds. Uh, historically, Tad Boyle team is not going to give up offensive rebounds. Uh, they're going to defend really well inside the arc. Uh, they're they're going to defense first is how they're going to try to win it. Uh, and typically with this bunch, if they lost a second round draft pick last year, that's with the Mavericks now stop the point guard, you should be all right. But it's freshman and it's COVID. Again, I just watched Kentucky look so bad. Can't stress that enough. Uh, so um, if it's weird, we should at least be prepared for that yeah. right? yeah. at this point in time. We should be by now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, go read uh, Will's uh, post on that. Lots of good stuff there. Um, that is going to do it for this episode of the Game Day at Rocky Top podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. We uh, uh, probably have another one. We haven't talked about it yet. Probably have another one next week. But then uh, the holidays kind of sometimes derail us. That's kind of how we roll here. Uh, if things are more important than the podcast to uh, either one of us at the time, we will bump it. Um, but... Uh, I imagine that once we get into January, uh, we'll be uh, quite regular because we're looking forward to this uh, basketball season. Uh, should be a really fun ride for the Vols. So, um, as always, uh, Will will do a cartwheel live on Facebook if you subscribe um, and uh, leave us a review and a rating. Uh, right now, Will, we have like an 85% blue chip ratio of five and four star ratings. <laughs> So is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. It's basically national championship caliber right there. Find the intersection of my Sunday morning worship Facebook live and this podcast and see if I can get a cartwheel going in this uh, <laughs> go. open space. Yeah. The, what's, uh, on the short list of what is quarantine good for? Quarantine is good for more podcast episodes. So uh, that's okay. uh, good. Yeah. I'm actually <laughs> isolated this week because I, I had like, I was a little dizzy like Wednesday night. Last Wednesday, so I work in uh, long-term care, so they're very careful with us. And uh, even though I'm in corporate office, but anyway, so you have symptoms, and all of a sudden you got to go take a test, negative, and then you got to sit out. You know, you're on, you're benched for like ten days. Actually, working from home, but anyway, so I'm I'll be working from home all week uh, this week. So uh, I imagine that maybe I can get some stuff done, and uh, maybe we can be back here uh, next Sunday night before uh, before the holidays kick in. So. Uh, anyway, I'm for uh, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and I'm for Will Sheldon. This I'm gonna just do that again, okay? Sure. That just did not work. <laughs> I'm gonna blame COVID. Can it? Can I do that? Yeah, that's what we're all doing. All right. For Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast.